the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is. And welcome back to our second hour of our daily three-hour tour. I've been looking forward to this all day. One of my favorite academics is Professor Wilfred Riley from Kentucky State University, author of Taboo, Ten Facts You Can't Talk About, Hate Crime Hoax, How the Left is Selling a Fake Race War, very active and fun to follow on Twitter, Will underscore duh underscore beast 630. But you look up Wilford Riley and you'll find him. Professor Riley, thanks for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. You betcha. I, um, I was so glad you wrote up what you wrote up over at the City Journal. What is critical race theory really? And I want to get into that just a little bit with you because there's a few weird things going on. Uh, from from those who, you know, I, I, I would say are proponents of critical race theory. They like to tell us that w- – I won't include you because c- it's unfair, but they like to t- tell conservatives they don't understand what it is. They like to tell conservatives that their understanding of it is wrong, and they like to tell conservatives that it doesn't exist anywhere in law schools. You have your own tricolon of what it is, and helpfully it explains it, and I'll let you do that if you don't mind. What is critical race theory, really, Professor Riley? Yeah, so the you're right that the, the kind of left-wing argument in this debate has been uh, constantly deflecting by right. saying, that's not real CRT, yeah. you, fool. you don't know what CRT is, that, that's not what it is. What I point out in the article, I, I am an academic, I do a fair amount of professional academic writing, is that almost always when someone says we don't teach CRT at my school, they don't mean we have a normal conservative curriculum, much less a 1776 curriculum in that school. What they're doing is making a very technical point that what's being taught is something slightly different. Uh, It might be the 1619 Project curriculum, which is in 5,000 schools right now. It might be Howard Zinn's, um, you know, a people's or a Marxist perspective on American history. That's not technically critical race theory because Zen is white and is a critical class theorist. You know, it might be what's called value of whiteness theory. It, it might be something that's very technically different from old school CRT, and that, that's the argument that's being made. But my point in the piece, which is, I think, a short, funny article, but it's just all these things are the same. It, it's pointless to say, no, we're not teaching critical race theory. We're teaching critical communist theory. Mm-hmm. That's, that's not what parents are marching to discuss. <laughs> right. Right. It's a good point. It's a really good point. And the other thing you often hear is, well, it's just confined to law schools, which is a very weird argument, as if things that are taught in law schools don't end up in the elementary schools. It's, it seems to me everything from Brown versus Board of Education on down does filter into our elementary schools. But I, you know, it's it's a it, even even the proponents of critical race theory in the law schools. I was privileged enough, or had to suffer through, however you want to put it, a lot of lectures by Derek Bell back in the day, and I remember very well, by the way, his lecture on Brown versus Board of Education. He doesn't think it was about race. He doesn't think it was about America overcoming 
uh, uh, discrimination and separate but equal. His view was that it was simply a message to the Soviet Union that we're more equal than you guys, which I've never heard any Supreme Court justice ever say. <laughs> but that's the kind of thinking that has gotten into our elementary and secondary schools, hasn't it? I mean, part of it is that everything that has been done has to be viewed through a lens that it isn't really what you thought it was. It's about the subtext, not the text, and the subtext is what we tell you it is. Yeah, I mean, so, again, this, this gets back to sort of the starting point. Like, critical race theory, and you're correct if you went through a legal education, I mean, critical race theory began as critical legal theory mm -hmm. in the elite law school. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're talking about Crenshaw and Delgado and Derek Bell, I mean, the guy who wrote Faces at the Bottom of the Well. Claire Dalton. Have some deep yeah. personal, yeah. You know, some deep personal issues with the, the white man in the country, but not an interesting writer. But, I mean... Those ideas obviously spread beyond the law schools. Just like I teach political science, but I wrote a book called Taboo that quite a few people have read that's now cited in, for example, conservative media that's taught in a few schools. So it wouldn't make sense to say, well, you can't criticize Riley for being active in <laughs> you know, right-wing political commentary. That guy's clearly just a sociologist. I mean, it's the same sort of thing. I mean, Derek Bell frequently speaks in schools. Ibram Tendi frequently speaks in schools. But I think... What I say in the article is that rather, for, for the parents, especially the moms out there, rather than getting caught up in these semantic debates with people who might be lawyers, there really are three things that you're looking for when you look at the language that you're seeing in your schools and so on. The first is the claim that the country itself, not people, or not the country in 1930, but the country itself now is overwhelmingly racist and evil. Um, so that that is classic Delgado and Derek Bell stuff, right? right. That the institutions themselves, racism is everywhere, it's eternal, all whites are racist. These are all quotes, by the way. So it, anything, like, this, why did the Supreme Court give black Americans full rights 70 years ago? Well, they wanted to show up the Russians. It's yeah. all racist. Yeah. They take that back at any time. Yeah. You know, now, is that just complete crack pottery? Sure. But that, that's point one. Point two is that you can find evidence of this racism Anytime there's a gap in performance between two groups. Oh, uh, yes. And this is a, Yeah, and this one I think may be the most important. And to a certain extent, the far right, alt right kind of made this easier for the left to argue by openly saying, well, we think these gaps are caused by genetics. So the response became when Tandy and D'Angelo and so on started writing, unless you're a genetic racist, every time you see a gap, you have to recognize that it's caused by racism. And every guy out there who's ever studied for a test or coach some football or something just sighs every time this is said. I mean, there's obviously a third variable training. Do Southern white kids or black kids study for the test as much as Asian kids? Of course not. But anyway, that that's on the verge of being unsayable now. So that's point two. Anytime you see a gap, it's racism. Which, again, is not to ramble, but it's completely meaningless. Like, African Americans are the least vaccinated group in the country, followed by white Republicans. Does that mean that there's some system out there that hates both of them, or do both of them just tend to be healthy and not that interested in the vaccine? Who knows? Anyway, but then that's, that's smart. Just, I, I got to pause on that. That uh, Kudos. That's well done. Thank you, Professor. Go ahead. Yeah. No, no, sure. But I mean, it's that is logically, this would have to apply to virtually everything. I mean, the NBA is one of the 10 highest earning sports businesses in the world. It's all six, seven black and Russian males. You know, where are the lawsuits? And the answer is, well, there won't be any because everyone at some level knows six, seven black and Russian males are better at basketball. But when you try to apply that same logic to anything else, accounting, you know, you're going to get into a, some very vicious conversations, let's say. Um, 
like I said, I think this is all cultural, but that too is now not being denied. Anyway, point three. Point three is equity. And equity basically just means proportional representation. So if you find that your gifted program or your athletic team or whatever is in a city that's 15% black but is only made up of 7% blacks, that's in and of itself evidence of racism. So you have to double your number of blacks. Those are the three points. The system itself is racist. You can see this because of gaps, and the solution is equity. And anything that teaches this, along with ideas like deep privilege, cultural appropriation, is probably something pretty close to CRT. It's something that comes off the same tree at very least. One of the thank you for that. One of one of the things that you often hear too from the defenders. You hear this actually from the professional education associations at mostly the elementary and mm-hmm. secondary level. Professor, you know what I'm about to say. It's about why 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 are you why are you afraid of teaching the actual history of America? To which I have to respond. <coughs> I'm sorry, but I, I I think I I know as much history as Randy Weingarten, maybe a little more. We had all. Uh, I know all this stuff, Professor. I really do. This wasn't hidden from me. This wasn't concealed. The the old the textbooks that even went before my generation, the old Samuel Eliot M- Morris and Henry Cominger textbooks, they, they they don't shrink from any of this. I, I looked it up in the index. There's 80 mentions of slavery in that book, which fell out of favor in the early 70s. I'm not saying that we did it all well or we did it all right. But I really don't know of a concerted effort to keep the real history of America from people. I think what they're concerned about is that we do want to teach the real history of America. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly correct. So a key element when you're talking about anything is context. You know, I, actually, I, mean, I have a whole speech about this that I'm, I'm not going to give here. But obviously the USA had slaves and engaged in conquering wars. But the catch is that we had slaves and we engaged in conquering wars at the same time that everyone else did historically. I mean, this is a universally known fact on the right and most of the left. So when someone says, we want to teach real history, that can mean one of two things. One, we want to teach real history, which would include the, you know, the atrocities of the white warriors and so on, but yep. also of their native and sometimes black opponents, yep. where, the, where the rest of the world was at that time the great things that we Americans did, I mean, the first major modern democracy, so on down the line. Um, And the second thing that that can mean is we want to teach this sort of isolated, woke version of history that only focuses on our sins. And if you point out that we are fringe fanatics, what we're going to do is try to say that you are fringe fanatics. And this, one quick sentence, but this is extremely common with the modern left where you have entire fields like black studies or sociology, like institutional capture the accurate term, where 95% of the people in that, that discipline, a gender transition therapy for young, young folks, for example, are Marxists or radical. And when ordinary parents who are lawyers, doctors, engineers, smart upper-middle-class citizens say, what you're saying sounds like nonsense, their response will, response will be, how dare you challenge me, a credentialed expert, mm. you fanatic. Mm. And I think it's important to watch out for that. I think it is, too. I think it is, too. By the way, this speech you give on, on this issue, is that something I can find and share with the audience, or is it kind of you kind of have to be there to get it? Uh, no, I mean, that's uh, something I've done for corporate clients, but most of my stuff's on video. If you Google Riley CRT, you should find Oh, I will, um, then. I will. That okay. I can't wait. I can't wait. Professor, this has Fair been enough. so good. I really appreciate you so very much. I appreciate your time. I appreciate your brain. I appreciate your willingness to come on our airwaves. All right. Well, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Bye. Professor Wilford Riley, his books, Taboo, Ten Facts, You Can't 
talk about hate crime hoax, how the left is selling a fake race war, and really follow him on Twitter. It's a lot of fun. Show is yours the rest of the day, 602-508-0960. And we also have a free concert ticket giveaway, too. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, 602-508-0960. Thank you all on hold for waiting. There's room for more. We're going to you now. Tammy, thanks for your patience. Appreciate it. Uh, thank you. Um, what Rob was talking about struck a chord with me in terms of responsibilities of citizenship. Yep. And really has been something that has, there's a little different twist. I see. Like, I don't disagree with the responsibilities, I think. There's also an opportunity, and I have some frustration with our conservative elected leaders right now. We see, I'm going to say, millions of lemons in matter, people coming across the border, right and left, and we're just complaining about it, and we're not taking any opportunity to do anything positive about that news. I don't know that there's a whole lot of positive, but I think it would be fair to... Um, kind of say as, as a whole or do something, and it's the next step of this that I don't know what that something is, is to say, you know, we really feel badly for you. You've been taken advantage of. You're not in a good situation, perhaps, in whatever country you're coming from. But we're not all entirely happy you're here because we fear that you're not going to take the responsibilities of, of being here, not necessarily citizenship, of being here and contributing to our society and the responsibilities of things like getting a job, paying your bills, understanding our ethnic and moral heritage, understanding the history of this country, along with the history of the state you happen to land in. And I really think we could, instead of just complaining that there's the Democrats going and getting, you know, a couple million new voters, let's tell the other side of the story. And the other side of the story is what you, is what you suggested. Our our concerns really are is that that we are we are importing millions with no ability to assimilate them or no interest in assimilating them. If I read you right, yes, yeah, and letting and letting you know the next year and a half or the next three years between elections go with nothing other than our basic whining about it. Well. Um, it, I think there's there's a lot in what you just said, and it gets us maybe to the same end point. The end point being that when immigrants came to America legally, mm-hmm. we inculcated them into assimilation through mostly our schools. I mean, it was mostly the work of our schools. When you think about immigrants or immigrant families you may have known that are, you know, I don't know, they may be in their 60s or 70s or younger, often their parents didn't have the wherewithal to even speak English. Their their children got it in the school, though, the children, right? Um, and maybe they ended up bi or tri or multilingual. But they got English in the schools. They got American history in the schools. What those legal immigrants understood was that America was where they could be free. That's what those legal immigrants understood in years past. America is where we can be free, and I will send my child to the schools that teach what freedom is and how to be free, right? 
That's that's right? so so the end point I'm driving at here, and I don't mean to uh, I don't I don't mean to just echo myself over and over again. Is 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 where do those immigrants, legal or illegal, get it now? But it's a much exactly. more. But but there's a much bigger and important question attendant to that, Tammy, or one that's equally hard to wrestle, gra- grass, grapple with. And it's where do Americans who are born here go to get it? Because they also used to get it in their schools. Today, this should be the statistic everyone takes away from this conversation. Today, 50% of our high school seniors graduate high school with an F in American history. 50% of our 18-year-olds who are ready to go to the military, the workforce, perhaps um, higher education or none of the above, 50% of them have been made aliens to a country they have been graduated into. And I will, you know, so, so yes, my concern about illegal immigrants is certainly care and love for this country, certainly. It's, it's, it's a little bit secondary for me on my, if I'm being honest about my cares about and concerns about illegal immigration, I'm a little bit more concerned about, uh, about resources. I'm a little bit more concerned about crime. I'm a little bit more concerned about drugs. I'm a little bit more concerned about trafficking. But you're right to point out that we have this big other problem here. But you know what? From my perspective, honestly, that's a problem that affects both Americans and people coming to America, legal or illegal. And I yeah. am right. Uh, do I am I do you disagree? I do not disagree. And so. What we Americans who are born here may have, parents have options in some states, homeschooling, virtual, uh, charter, you name it, private sometimes. That can help. That can help. But it's not the vast majority by any stretch. We're talking, you know, maybe, maybe 10 percent of our students here at best when it comes to homeschooling at best and probably closer to, to half of that. Five percent. It's a it's a real serious problem because you see what the progressives have done here. Having taken over the schools and the curriculum, they are also teaching nothing wrong with the illegal immigration. We have a really big problem in our hand. Closing the border should be the least of it. That should be the easiest thing to do. We've done it before. We know how to do it. We know how to have an immigration policy. We know how to close the border if we want to. The problem beyond that, I think, still remains. And don't forget how many millions are here already, right? I mean, we have some really big issues, Tammy. You've put your finger on a very, very pregnant one. But but the child of that pregnancy, the child of that pregnant issue affects Everyone affects everyone, and it affects everyone born here and not born here in a way that if we don't arrest it is going to mean there's no more here here. I hope that made sense. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. 602-508-0960 is the number if you'd like to weigh in on anything or introduce a topic. Dave, hi. Welcome. Thank you so much, teacher. Appreciate oh, the It's nice to hear from you, sir. Thank you. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. And I, and I always love following another gentleman from Surprise. <laughs> surprise must be this hugely gr- – I need to spend more time in Surprise. I moved there in 95, yeah. and the place where I get my groceries now is a big Vidalia onion field. I think there's <laughs> close to 200,000 people out there now. Oh, is that Not, right? Yeah, yeah. It's have you ever like heard the Sammy Kershaw song, Vidalia? I have not. I'll have to look that uh, up. Do. Get it on YouTube. It's a brilliant song, actually, because he's he's comparing the onion to the name of a girl he's soft on. <laughs> and how, okay. how you, I think the chorus is, you always, oh, Vidalia, you always know how to make me cry. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Anyway. I, so, I wonder I wonder if that would be a good spot for Bill to play something. Coming I in, coming bet it would. We'll do that. We'll, put right? some, we'll, put, we'll do some Kershaw Vidalia in honor of our surprise listeners. You bet. You bet. Perfect. Bill, maybe we go out. Well, again, go ahead, sir. I love the earlier conversations. Um, I I feel much the way as it's Rob from Surprise, right? Yes. Um, It it is a duty to be a citizen, and and unfortunately, what I see, and and I think you know some of my backstory. I was, you know, trying to help the Republican Party, and I think they're pretty weak on messaging in general, and it's been that way for decades. I agree with everything um, you've said. Trying to trying to ignite the forces, doing Trump flag rallies every week, you know, registering people to vote, calling into Dr. Gorka, giving him stats and telling him what kind of progress I thought we were making in the state. But at the end of the day, um, I, I think because the the leftist media and establishment class has just run amok, I, I don't see, I don't even see if you go back to old school times, 3% of the population standing up to fight tyranny. I don't think I see one percent, Seth, and it just it scares me, teacher. It just really does. Talk to me a little bit more about that. I know that three percent number. I know people argue over it, but your point is well taken. Um, because what I have seen a little bit, and it may be different from your perspective, but what I have seen is when we stand up, they'll do on the other side everything they can to intimidate us, everything. And this has been going on for a while. So I was supposed to evidently shed tears over some tweet by a school board member that I was shown describing the harassment she had been taking for about a year or so. And she, you know, she listed some things that were unpleasant and Probably something I would have, if all true, told people not to do. It was un- she. She was subject to some unpleasant criticism. Okay. Welcome to the party, pal. When's the last time a liberal on a college campus needed security? When's the last time a, le- a liberal or a leftist invited to speak at a college campus needed security? When's the last time a conservative invited to a campus, even with security, was threatened and had to cancel the speech? Almost every time. Almost every time. And I'm not justifying the Me Tooism. I'm justifying the lacrimose feeling that we on the right are supposed to take responsibility for after being 
shown again and again and again that our ideas are subject to a violent response. Our ideas are subject to a violent response. Or to quote the Speaker of the House, people will do what people will do. So I think what's going on now when you see the parents doing, I think, things that you, have, you, would, have, you would have agreed with or encouraged showing up at school board meetings and having their say, they engage in an effort of intimidation. I think having the FBI come after you for speaking up or knocking on your door or interviewing you is the most chilling kind of intimidation any government or country with its equivalent of the FBI could have. This is designed to silence and shut. So I'm, I'm going to give a little bit of a leeway to some of the people that are hesitant because they have been cowed. They have, they have been put in fear of speaking out with their livelihoods, with their family safety, with the shaming of their children. They have been put in fear and now with the law and now with the law. I'm going to hold you over for the other side to respond a little bit if that's OK, Dave. Yeah. Thank you, teacher. Oh, and here's your song. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, 602-508-0960. We're talking to Dave in surprise. Uh, Dave, thanks for your patience. Uh, I, I said a mouthful. You, you feel free to respond however you like. Yeah, I appreciate you holding me over, teacher. You um, I, I do agree with what you're saying, that, that people are intimidated. And I think one of the, the bigger issues is the general population is, is fairly comfortable. Apathy yep. runs wide and deep. Yep. If we were in a different country where people had to struggle to eat every day, I think it would be a different, a different reaction to the, the freedoms they're taking away from us. But if you do get to the bottom level, I mean, it, and we talked about this when the first impeachment came up, it's the radicals. It, I think it's probably one person out of eight that has the megaphone to speak for the left, to speak for the liberals. Mm-hmm. But they've now come after their own. You, you saw what they did to, to Senator Sinema. Yep. Um, they, they, the Republicans were easy. The GOP rolls over every time. They don't need to worry about shouting us down. But when someone has a conscience that is in their party, they come for them last. But they are the least tolerant of any of the people on the face of the earth. They threw and Joe Lieberman out of the party. Remember how the apparatus they did. ran another yeah. Democrat against him and he had to run as an independent? This was the former of vice course. presidential nominee of the Democratic Party, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, right. And and what did they do to the the former comedian senator in Minnesota? Because he wasn't a, a strong leftist either. Oh, uh, Franken. Yeah, Franken. Yes, yes. I, I I thought he was fairly reasonable too. I mean, they they've cut themselves. And and again, I don't think it's the whole Democrat Party, but they'll be happy to be led to power by the AOCs and the Squad because it's unmitigated power is what that side of the equation fights for. Republicans, conservatives, I'll say, not Republicans, conservatives fight to give people freedom. And I think people that are progressive fight to give the state power yes. over people. Nice, nice, nice construction. Yeah, Thank you, I, I think that's <clears throat> I think it's a movement that cares um, either about individual rights versus a movement that cares about group and state rights, not states rights, state, the state right the right of the government, the right of the power. And, 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 and as far as not enough standing up goes, because 
you know, we do have to deal with that. It's it's eminently true, whether they're intimidated or whether they go along, get along, or whether they don't think the problems will come to them. It is interesting. I don't know if this has been true of your interactions. It's been true of mine. It is interesting that people who hither to before were beyond it all or thought they were beyond it all are finding that they're not. They're finding that they're coming after their kids now at the private schools. They're coming for them in every piece of messaging they get. And they're now waking up to what a lot of us have been saying about what's going on with the rest of us. I mean, Ron Klain, you know, he's the White House chief of staff. This is slightly off top, slightly off exhibit, but it's part of the problem that I think is not just true of Democrats, but true of Republicans, too many anyway. Ron Klain, the White House chief of staff, talking about uh, inflate the issues of inflation. So a professor tweets, most of the economic problems we're facing, inflation, supply chains, etc., are high-class problems. We wouldn't have had them if the unemployment rate was still 10%. We would instead have had a much worse problem. So Ron Klain, the White House chief of staff, puts two fingers on it on his tweet and writes this as, his, as if this is the true thing. Most of the economic problems we're facing are high-class problems. Is that, tr- that true of you, Dave? No, sir. Nor is it true of 25% of Americans at minimum, at minimum, 25% in a recent poll. It is an elitist view that the very top will do just fine and the rest can eat cake as far as they're concerned. It's the Hillary Rodham Clinton approach. I mean, just the little people, the deplorables. Or the Nancy Pelosi concept of crumbs from the tax cut. Crumbs. Well, when that money was less, when that money was less than what Donald Trump gave them in tax rebates or tax reductions, it's like on average about twelve hundred bucks. That's what Nancy Pelosi called crumbs. It's the same Nancy Pelosi that refused to cease three hundred dollar payments. Okay, just so we understand, for not working, just so we understand her definition of a crumb. The bigger it is, the more likely it is to be a crumb if it comes from a Republican. Anyway, my my point is there's a lot of elitism, but there's no safe space in America from Marxism. And whether you're an elite Democrat or an elite Republican, that's who they'll go after first. And if you think they're not coming after you, they are. And they're starting with the most vulnerable, your children. I don't I don't I don't I, I don't know where we go from here Dave as far as as far as the point but I would love to see I would love to see the FBI try to arrest thousands and thousands of parents for exercising their constitutional right I'd like to see it happen I know I know Thank you, Dave. Bless you, sir. Tony in Tempe. Hi, Tony. Yes, hi, Seth. Uh, Regarding this topic, um, obviously the schools are way out of line. They should be completely voted out. But, you know, there's usually plenty of blame to go around. And, of course, the left is going to pick it up and criticize and send the FBI out and all of that. The problem is most parents 
in general are deathly afraid of even speaking in public sure. at these sure. meetings. Sure. Number one, sure. they, we are not in general orators. And... Um, but also, you don't want to be shamed or criticized, especially if you have an, you know, if you have a job where people can know who you are, and that's sort of, absolutely, I get it. But but the thing is, and, and I'm like this. A lot of times, I'm brave. I'll go out there and do it. But a lot of times, I don't even speak. Like in in my marriage, I'm so mad about that <laughs> I don't even speak because I know I'll blow up. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So we do need to try, and I've got a way that maybe we can do this a little bit better because we get so passionate, so angry, even so hateful. Um, but we must be respectful when we approach these people or we lose the battle. So how do you do that? Um, well, first of all, and, you know, this is for people who know the Bible and are biblical a little bit, so pardon me <laughs> while I go off on a tangent, but this has helped me a little bit. First of all, let, let it not be said of this radio show that a biblical verse is a tangent. <laughs> uh, okay, okay. Well, I mean, you know, it's, it's, I understand that, okay. and I know, okay. I know you're you're good with it, but you may. Yeah, let you me do this, have... Tony. I do have to take the commercial break. Can you hold as well, and I'll bring you right back. Yes, sir. I appreciate you. Thank you for laughing with me too. Six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Tony and Tempe, thank you for your patience and waiting. Okay, sure. So we must make our objections before these people respectfully. So how do we do it? Okay, first of all, we need to realize that we are not fighting against flesh and blood. We are fighting against spiritual powers in very high places, rulers of the darkness, great wickedness. These people are just deluded. Their light is darkness, and they're puppets of this incredibly powerful force. And it's really going crazy in these last days. Very, very frightening. So how do we do it? How do we stay composed? Remember, what did Christ say on the cross when they were attacking him and just all the filth and the crap that he had to put up with? God, the Son of God, a perfect God-man. How did he do that? He said, forgive them. They know not what they do. Now, think about it for a minute. They did know what they were doing. These people that we're fighting right now, they, they know exactly what they're doing, and they're trying to take control. They like socialism, blah, 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 just like all of those people at that time at the crucifixion. But in another sense, they didn't know what they were doing, because that's what he said, right? They know not what they do. So if we look at these people, and first of all, we realize it's spiritual power, so we better fight it the way God says to fight it, and that's not the way an army or most uh, lost people would fight it, you know, with anger and bullets and all of that sort of thing. Um, so we have to have a good heart, and for me, that has softened my heart in a lot of situations. I almost pity these people, and um, if I behave correctly for towards them, and my heart is right towards them. I hope they will come around. I hope they will see the light. Um, then I can relax a little bit more, and I don't have to be so horribly passionate. 
So forgive them. They know not what they do. And then go about your business. Be as forceful as you need to be. Say the truth. Don't sugarcoat it. Because, I mean, in those scriptures, they called their enemies dogs and whited sepulchers and dead man's bones. You know, but I think it was done... Do you know what I'm saying? I do. I do. I do. I do. I do. And there's a lot in what you said. and, And I'll just say this. Thank you for the call, first of all, and feel free to call back anytime. You're always welcome to offer scripture here. Um, It's an interesting thought that hadn't occurred to me to think of what you're arguing for or against as you go to any civic or social or public meeting is an ideology and not a human being or a theology. Either way, I think you were putting it as a theology or an ideology. Either way, think of it as arguing against that. And then I I just – every time I'm in an – I'll give you my own, Tony. Every time I'm in an uncomfortable situation, I learned from a dear friend of mine, Ananda, simply ask yourself, what is my holy mission here? It really – you ask yourself that question, it really kind of changes your perspective. Or go with Mother Teresa. Make of yourself, for God, a pleasant habitat in which to dwell. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.